How many of you know he's able? He's able. And if you were standing here today and you said, able to do what? Jesus would say, pick something. I'm able to make weakness into strength. I'm able to take loss and turn it into gain. I'm able to take emptiness and, and turn it into fullness. I'm able to take the selfish and turn them into servants. Uh, he's able to turn the lion's den into a petting zoo. He's able to turn the fiery furnace into a, a sauna. He's able to turn death into an Uber ride to glory. He's able. Amen, amen. That's the pre-sermon, y'all. That's the, he's able, he's able. Amen. It's good to be with y'all this, this weekend. My name is Russ Woodfield. I am a, a friend of Pastor L and a long-lost family member of Redeemer. Amen. I'm really glad to be with you. It's been a pleasure to be with you over uh, this weekend for your mission conference. And, uh, and we've been walking through Philippians, uh, the first chapter. And this morning, we are going to uh, we're gonna bring it to a head, and we're going to we're going to get into this text this morning in Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 27 through 30. The book of Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. And you can find that on the screen or in your Bible. This is God's Word. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Would you pray with me? Father, we know that your word is powerful, that everything that you do in the lives of your people is accomplished through your word that you encourage us through your word, that you humble us through your word, you inspire and motivate us through your word, you save through your word. And we pray that your word would get through this morning to us by your spirit's ministry. And we do pray, Jesus, that you would be the true preacher this morning. Preach to our hearts, get it through, get a hold of us. And we pray that you would fit us more to participate in the work of your kingdom. We pray for our friends who are in here this morning who are still wrestling through issues of life and faith. We pray that they would encounter you in a new way this morning and that they would find you to be great and a savior. Lord, we pray that you would get the glory from this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I recently came across a video on the website of Yellowstone National Park. And it was a video that tells the story of how Yellowstone National Park was renewed and revived when, when wolves were reintroduced to the park. Wolves had been taken out of the park many years ago, but they reintroduced wolves to the park and it changed everything. Before the wolves, the land was barren. 
The deer were eating up all the vegetation and, and it looked pretty shabby. But when the wolves were reintroduced to the park, they started to push the deer population away and all of a sudden there were, there were flowers that were growing up on the hillsides and, and, and forests of aspen began to crop up. And once those forests cropped up and the, the trees quintupled in six years, then the songbirds and migratory birds began to find a place in the park. And you could hear the song of the birds in the park. And then the beavers, when the trees came back, they, they wanted to find their place in the park. You know, they like to eat up trees. And so they started eating up the trees and they started creating dams. And, and this fostered habitats for fish and otters and weasels and all critters of our God and King. They started to find a home there. And then the eagles and the hawks and the foxes started to find their place because the mice and the rabbits started coming back. And there were bears in, in the forest now. And, and all of a sudden, this place started to be revived. And this is what, this is what the narrator of the, of the video said at the end of the video. He said, and I quote, The wolves, though small in number transformed not just the ecosystem of Yellowstone National Park, this huge area of land, but also its physical geography. Now, after I watched this video, I got to thinking. There was one thing that those wolves did that caused them to have this massive transformative effect on this, on this big park, and it was this. These wolves were simply true to their design. The wolves were simply being wolves. There were, there were uh, 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 other animals that found a home in the park because the wolves were true to their design. There, there, were, there were new flourishing and new growth in the park because the wolves were true to their design. There was renewal throughout the entire park because the wolves were true to their design. Now, when the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to his friends in Philippi, he knew that though they were small in number, they could have a transformative effect on that city if they would simply be true to their design. The church, by design, is a spirit-filled, Jesus-loving, gospel-bearing, sin-forgiving, mercy-showing, God-glorifying community that worships in spirit and truth. That's who we are by design. And if we are true to our design, could it be that we too will see renewal in our places? Could it be that people on the margins would find a new home if we would simply be true to our design? Could it be that there would be revival and renewal if we would be true to our design? I think that many of us wake up and get out of bed in the morning, and we get up and we ask ourselves the wrong question. We wake up in the morning and we ask the question, what do I have to do today? And we pull out the to-do list and we say, Lord Jesus, why, why, why? <laughs> we ask the question of what do I have to do today? But I think, I think the more important question when we wake up every morning is, who do I have to become today? Who do I have to become? Who am I? If you settle the becoming question, it will sort out the doing question. 
I think that the main emphasis that we need to look at today, the answer to the question of who am I when I'm related to God by faith in Christ, the answer to that question is this. Who am I? I am a citizen of the kingdom. I am a citizen of the kingdom. And my proposal to you this morning is that we will have a fruitful partnership if we enjoy faithful citizenship. If we want to have a fruitful partnership in the gospel, then we must, we must enjoy faithful citizenship. We must be true to who we are. We must know who we are meant to become as God's people, as citizens of the kingdom. Nothing else matters more for our individual lives or for our corporate life together or for our mission than that we live as citizens of the kingdom. And so we're going to dig into this this morning and we're going to see that our identity determines our vitality. Identifying as citizens of God's kingdom is going to help us to have a fruitful partnership in the gospel. So I want us to begin with verse 27. Take a look at verse 27. Paul begins and he begins with this word only. And what Paul is trying to impress upon his friends, he's saying there is one primary thing that I want you to be about. There's one pri if there is one thing that I could leave with you, if there was one emphasis I could impress upon you, it's this. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's the main thing. This is it, y'all. He is dealing with his friends who are experiencing pressures from the outside and they're experiencing conflicts on the inside. And he says, there's one thing you got to do. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. This is it. This is the emphasis. But this is a this is a pregnant phrase and we need to unpack it a little bit. A manner worthy of the gospel of Christ is a bunch of English words that are trying to bring out one Greek word. It's the word from which we get the word politics, okay? Politeuiste. All right, I'm not trying to be fancy. What I'm trying to show you is that Paul is contextualizing the gospel for these friends in Philippi because Philippi was a, a Roman military colony. And these people were very proud of their citizenship as Romans. They identified strongly as Romans. And even though Rome was a long way away from Philippi, they still identified as Romans and they embraced Roman values and they advanced Roman commitments and ways of life. They lived in line with Roman cultural orthodoxy. That's how they lived. They were proud of their civic standing. And all that was reflected in the word politeuiste. That's what reflected their living as citizens. They, they lived in line with, with what the Caesar, the king, had to say. That was the way they lived their lives. That's how they thought of themselves. They enjoyed certain rights and, and, and certain privileges and certain responsibilities. And they lived up into this identity as Roman citizens. And the Roman Empire was spreading all around the world because the king, the Caesar, was planting cities amongst different people groups around the world. And he was placing his people 
around the world so that they would spread the Roman way of life. That they would live according to Roman values and commitments and extend the kingdom of Rome. So do you see what Paul's doing here? He says, he says, look, y'all, look, y'all, I know that you are very proud of your citizenship as Romans, but there is a higher citizenship. I know you're proud to belong to the to the to the Roman Empire, but I want you to know that there's a greater kingdom that you belong to. He's trying to get them to own up to all the rights and the privileges and the responsibilities of belonging to God's kingdom. Because Paul knew that God was extending his kingdom and he was planting his churches and he was planting his people all around the world. And the way in which God's kingdom was going to advance as if God's people live as citizens of God's kingdom and they embrace Christian orthodoxy and they espouse a, a Christian way of life and, and kingdom values and kingdom commitments and kingdom driven relationships. This was how God was extending his kingdom. Paul is challenging them. He takes this pregnant word they knew of and he flips it and he leverages it. It becomes the fulcrum for which he drives a new understanding of citizenship. They were deeply woven into this notion and this pride of being Romans. And Paul is flipping it. He's like, look, 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 look. I know that Rome looks at the nations as peoples to be conquered. But citizen kingdoms look at the nations as people to be included and embraced. I know that Rome squashes the weak, but kingdom citizens empower the weak. I know that Rome worships Caesar as Lord and Savior. But we acknowledge one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I know that that Rome has a way of doing things. But when you belong as citizens of God's kingdom, it changes everything about the way that you live. And I was thinking about this and I was thinking about, you know, how we today as Americans need to hear this. I was thinking about my passport and I've been around to different places in the world and and I was remembering the last time I looked at my passport, uh, I was looking and in, in, in my passport, it, it tells me about, you know, my birth information. It tells me about my identity. And then in the back of your passport, it's stamped with all of the different places that I have been. And I got to thinking about how my passport as a citizen of God's kingdom is different. It tells me about my new birth in the gospel because the spirit worked in my heart. It tells me about my identity as God's beloved, as his bride, as the apple of his eye. And when I, when I flip back through my kingdom passport, I know that there are a number of places that I've been. I, I've been to Gethsemane where I saw Jesus say, not my will, but your will be done, just so he could save my soul. I've been to Calvary, and, and, I've, and I've been there at Golgotha when I saw the great love of God in Jesus Christ when he died for my sins and extended his arms to show how much he loved me. And there's another place, it's one of my favorite places that, that I've been to, it is reflected on my kingdom passport, and it's to the empty tomb. And when, when I go to the empty tomb, I've been there. Yeah, maybe y'all have been there, because on the front of that tomb, there's a neon vacancy sign, because he's not there anymore. 
When you, when you go to that tomb, you're reminded of the women who were, who were showing up to, to, to bring formaldehyde to Jesus, but they should have been bringing him breakfast. Hey, because he lives. Because he lives, and I've been there. And, and when you've been there, it changes everything about the way that you live as a citizen. It changes everything about the way you relate to one another. I just want you to flip back through your passport and see where you've been as a Christian, as a as a member of God's kingdom, he has stamped your passport and you can look back through because God wants to reshape and refashion who we are. He's he's changing these things for them, the way that they think about themselves. I love how later in chapter three, if you look at it, chapter three, verse 20, he goes in again on citizenship and he says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Now, here's the deal. As we said, Philippi was a long way from Rome, and Caesar was hanging out in Rome. And there would be times in a, in a Roman colony where the citizens of that colony would experience turmoil in their city. Things would start to go awry. There would be uprisings. There would be rebellion. There would be chaos in that Roman colony. And any time things got a little too hot, when things reached a boiling point, a tipping point, the citizens of that colony knew that if things ever got too hot, that Caesar himself would come with his army and he would put down the chaos. He would put down all of the, the troubles and the, and the sorrows. And, and they knew this as Roman citizens, but Paul's tapping in and he says, do you know as kingdom citizens that we are awaiting the return of Jesus? That he's going to come back and he's going to put down the rebellion. He's going to come down and he's going to make all things new. Do you know that because he's coming back, you can grab every sorrow and every trial and every hardship and heartache and you can lift it up. And if you look closely enough, you'll see on it an expiration date because he's coming back. Trouble won't last all way. There, there's going to be a tearless day because he's coming back. And that is meant to stabilize us as we live the life of kingdom citizens right now. That's meant to stabilize us. And listen, fam, I can think of no more poignant message for us than this message of citizenship. If we're going to engage the mission of God faithfully, then I would propose to you that we must own our citizenship. We must identify more closely with our kingdom citizenship than we do with our American citizenship. I would propose to you that one of the deepest sources of our divisions is that we are more closely aligned with our American citizenship than we are with our kingdom citizenship. That we have, we have taken in some of the unhealthy dynamics of our American cultural moment, and that has turned into a lot of tensions that don't belong among kingdom citizens. I know as American citizens, we talk a lot about freedom. 
I know that as American citizens, we, we make statements of civic pride and we raise our flags. Back home in DC, thousands of people pour into the National Mall to look at the stone monuments of the Founding Fathers. But you know what? All of this pales in comparison to what we have as kingdom citizens, y'all. It, it all pales in comparison because as American citizens, we can, we can talk about the freedom of speech. But as kingdom citizens, we can talk about freedom from sin and guilt and shame and fear. That's good news. I know that as American citizens, you, you know, well, we, can, we can talk about, you know, uh, our civic pride. But as kingdom citizens, we talk about redemptive humility. American citizens might marvel at the stone monuments of the founding fathers, but kingdom citizens can celebrate the fact that the stone has been rolled away. That's good news. I know, I know as American citizens, well, we, we, can, we can sing and, and salute the flag, but I love that in the Song of Songs, it says that God brought us into the banqueting house and his banner over us is love. Americans can be grateful for the stars and stripes, but as kingdom citizens, we are grateful that by his stripes, we have been healed. And when our kingdom citizenship and all of its privileges and rights come down into our souls, well, then there'll, there'll really be fireworks. Then there'll really be a song to sing. Then we'll really be showing the world the beauty of this God that we, came, we claim to love and trust. There is a great theologian named Christine Pohl. And she wrote a book on community and she made this most powerful statement where she says that the greatest testimony to the truth of the gospel is the quality of our life together. The most powerful demonstration of the truth of our message is how we live together in love, how we live together in forbearance and patience and humility, how we live with a mind full of the other. That's what says that this message is true. This is what substantiates our message. And it's countercultural, y'all. It's countercultural. It's, it's, it's countercultural. And one of the other things that I, I want us to think about when it comes to this, this citizenship and when it comes to mission, and I want to be clear about this, and this is important for you to hear. A lot of times when you, when you get into a missions conference or we have an event, we start to get, the pep rally gets going and you're like, yeah, I'm gonna do something for mission. I'm gonna, I'm gonna conquer the world. Like you get this, like you need to do something amazing. Like, like you need to do something that's just like extraordinary. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you have to, you have to be head and shoulders, stand above the rest, like you have to do something like that. I want you to know that one of the most profound things that you can do for mission is be faithful in the ordinary. Be faithful in the mundane moments. And you know why that's so important? Because if you look at the life of Jesus, he lived the vast majority of his life in obscurity. He, he didn't have no Twitter following for 30 years. Wasn't nobody trying to follow him on Facebook. They didn't pay no attention to Jesus. He was faithful though, and here's the good news. Jesus was faithful in the mundane. 
And if Jesus had been unfaithful in just one secret, quiet moment, we would have no salvation. There would be no good news. But he was faithful in the mundane. And what that means for you is this. How can you contribute to the mission, moms? Moms, God bless you. But it's a thousand small decisions every day to turn your heart to God, to call on him for help, and to use the opportunities that you have before you to try and demonstrate God's goodness and to hold out his light. A lot of the way is by our own admission of weakness and our own testimony to God's presence in our weakness, our own confession that we have no earthly idea of what we're doing. I'm just trying to keep these kids alive. But somehow God meets us in the midst of it. We take advantage of the ordinary moments. I love, I love, if you think about texts like Hebrews 11, there's this, there's this line of people that are laid out and then it says some of those, some of those, they aren't even named, and it says those of whom the world was not worthy. That's God's assessment of faithfulness in the ordinary. And that's one of the most powerful ways you can advance God's mission. It doesn't have to be in the lights. It doesn't have to be on the banner. But God sees and God blesses our ordinary faithfulness. So hear, hear that. When you walk out of these doors, the most important thing that you need to walk away with is the issue of becoming, not doing. Who must you become? You must become somebody who actually believes that they are loved not because of what they do, not because of the services they provide, not because of how smart you are, not because of how many letters you have behind your name, not because of how many numbers you got in your bank account, but because of who Jesus is for you in the gospel. You're loved. You're loved by God because of how good he is, not because of how good you are. And that's freeing. That's very freeing. Because the people who do the most damage to the people around them are those who are living under the burden of performance and perfectionism. Why do you think you need to be so amazing? Well, then who will I be if I'm not that? What will people think of me if I'm not? Who will you be? A citizen of the kingdom. <laughs> it's simple and beautiful and freeing. That's who you can be. And that's who you are. Take this ordinary faithfulness. This is ordinary people. You don't know the names of any of these folks. Well, a few of them, okay? Just a few. But ordinary faithfulness advances God's mission. Ordinary citizenship. And here's the good news. Here's the good news. How can you do this? The message from this, this, this text is not, go try harder to be a citizen. The message of this text, the good news is that the, the, the Son of God became a citizen of this world so that you could become a citizen of heaven. He flipped with you. And when you know the good news of his love for you, when you know the good news of his kindness toward you, that he has inclined toward you favorably, that he smiles over your life. He's not like the third base coach who grabs his hat, throws it down and kicks the ground. Right? That's not how God does you. God is not, he, he thinks on you with delight and love because God cannot think of you separately from his son, Jesus. You are loved with the same strength with which the father loves his son. <laughs> you remember the baptism of Jesus? 
Before Jesus did any ministry, before he preached any sermons, before he counseled anybody, he heard the fatherly declaration, this is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased. And when you are united to him, it's before you do any ministry, before you do any counsel, before you, any, you serve anybody down the street, before you teach any of the kids, you are beloved. And that's a beautiful and powerful message. The world needs that. And that shows up in the ordinary moments. The good news is that the Son of God became a citizen of this world to make you a citizen of heaven. So you now have the freedom to live as a citizen of the kingdom, more than a citizen of America. And if you embrace your kingdom citizenship and prize that most profoundly, well, then you'll be the best kind of American citizen. We'll be the best kind of earthly citizens if we are really rooted in our identity as kingdom citizens. It's not fancy. It's just faithful. And just like the Philippians were tempted to live according to Greco-Roman orthodoxy, cultural orthodoxies, what the Romans expected of them, you and I must resist living into liberal or conservative orthodoxies and prize Christian orthodoxy over it all. Our script is not written out by the left to center socio-political commentary, nor the right. I'm going to explain it to you like this as I, as I close. Okay? Before I went into ministry, I, I worked on, in show business. I did stage theater stuff. All right? And when I was training, one of the things we had to do was learn how to engage a script. And, and when we would get the script, we would sit down with the script and we would begin to read through it. And the playwright had laid out in the script everything that we needed to know. It tells you, you know, the kind of character you're supposed to be. It tells you how you're supposed to feel. It tells you how you're supposed to move on the stage. It tells you how you're supposed to relate to the other characters on the stage. And you are trained in a theater to get into the script in such a way that the script gets into you. It's not enough to just play act it. You have to get it in. You have to embody the story so that you can be the truest character, the truest representation of what the playwright wanted. And this, brothers and sisters, is our script. And we must get into the script in such a way that the script gets into us. This script tells us everything about the way in which we are to identify ourselves, the kind of characters we're supposed to be, how we're to relate to the other characters in this life so that we can bring the story of the divine playwright into reality in this world. That story of grace. So that people will be gripped by that story of renewal and hope. Think about all the desperation there is to be found in Jackson and how you can live in the script of God and show them that there is a story of hope. There is a God who can, who can, who can write over all of the despair and all of the trials and hardship and heartache and losses. He can write his word over it. Hope. He can write over all of that in their lives. But that becomes visible by the way you live together in love. If you embrace your kingdom citizenship, you will have a fruitful partnership. If you, Redeemer, embrace your kingdom citizenship more and more, then you may just see renewal and revival in this city. People on the margins will start to find a home in this church. And you'll start to see new growth, all because God is pleased 
to use the foolish things to shame the wise. He, he uses the weak. He prefers the weak over the strong. It's beautiful to belong to this kingdom and to have this assurance. So I encourage you to live into your identity as citizens of the kingdom and you will be faithful participants in the mission of God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have made us citizens of your kingdom. And I pray, Father, that you help us. Help us, Lord, to pursue life and true liberty and the pursuit of godliness, Lord. We pray that you would help us to be real citizens of your kingdom. And we pray, Father, that you would identify aspects of our life and our thinking in which we need to repent and seek renewal because we have not been living as citizens. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us encouragement too, that you are glad to receive us back and renew us and transform us and shape us by your grace. Lord, we, we thank you for all the good that you're doing in this church, for all the faithfulness you have shown to this community. And we pray, Lord, that you would fill Redeemer with your spirit. Encourage them, Lord, that you are really working here. You're doing so much. You, you do many things at once and all things well. So, Lord, help us to believe it and to look to you in faith, in hope, and in love. We pray all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.